Today, we are joined in the studio by Gabe Lyons, president of Think Media. We tackle the thorny subjects of Romans 13, Christian nationalism, and how the church must be proactive in addressing matters of food supply, the electric grid, and cultivating a society comprised of men and women of discernment who, like the men of Issachar, understand the times and who know what to do. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and with my good friend Gary Humble, this is the Freedom Matters Podcast. Yeah, some more Tom Petty. I'm liking this. And um, who's the producer? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to give you something get, harder than just... I, I don't know the producer. Sorry. Well, I'm not that... So this, this record followed Full Moon Fever, which was produced by Jeff Lynne. And so this was also produced by... Can't you tell by the sound? That sound is Jeff Lynne. That sound is ELO. Yeah. Oh, we're back to ELO. <clears throat> yeah. No, but I'm, I'm digging the Petty stuff, though. This is feeling good. So I told uh, Mr. Get me back, you know, it's get me back on the right track. Yeah. After a few misses. Yeah. It's good. So I I was playing this this morning. Learn, and and t- by the way, Learning to Fly. I'll go ahead and take the name Thank of you. Learning to Fly. But I'm going to let you hear the second verse because as I was coming in this morning, I thought, ooh, what a great start. <clears throat> so we'll go through the chorus here. And, but I um, ain't got wings. Yep. What are we waiting for here? We're going to wait for the second verse. Gotcha. It's very short. Listen to the words. Well, the good old days may not return. Mm. The new normal. And the rocks might melt. And the seed may burn. All right. So, did you hear that? No, yeah. The good old days may not return. The rocks might melt. The sea may burn. The sea may burn. If I didn't know better, I think Tom Petty was quoting from the scriptures, right? Hmm. Let me do that. And we talked about last on the last one about him sort of being biblical, standing at the gates of hell. Yeah. yeah. With so I'm wondering if this is, you know, neither Jeff, <laughs> neither Jeff Lynn, nor Tom Petty, the late Tom Petty, uh, ever professed faith in Christ. They don't live a life that gives any evidence of that. But it proves that God speaks through all people, whether they intend it or not. <clears throat> But let me go ahead and quote that to get us started, because I think people know, and somebody knew, somebody in writing this song, maybe they were mocking it. But I'm going to read really briefly here from Second Peter 3. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters, also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now, here we go with the fire again. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Hmm. So, Tom Petty, 
whether you know it or not, uh, Jeff Lynn, whether he knows it or not, they are reciting Scripture, the truth of the gospel. Amen? Amen to that. Uh, well, uh, I don't know. I said amen to that like I'm like I'm excited about All right. <laughs> the elements burning away with okay. fire, but not necessarily. You know what? Let me offer this encouragement, Gary, because it, <laughs> that is the tendency where people will go with it. But Paul goes on to say, Peter, sorry, goes on to say, since everything will be destroyed in this day, in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God mm. and speed its coming. Mm. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. That's good. Well, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit today because with us, we, we do have a guest today, a very good friend of mine, Gabe Lines, president of Think Media. With a Q. With a Q. That's right. Gabe, welcome to the show. It's great to be here with you guys. Love the Tom Petty. Yeah. We, well, we, we venture into all sorts of things here on the show, and, and every now and then, we so for about a month straight, I got it wrong. <laughs> Had no idea what he was playing. And so I'm, I'm back on a good streak. But um, Gabe's a friend. Gabe is has been around church leadership for a long time. I mean, speaking, conferences, discipleship, um, you name it at a at a high level, someone I respect and uh someone I'm very fortunate for the past couple of years to to share in a, a Bible study that uh I I, I took a uh, unfortunate very lazy hiatus from Gabe so hold me accountable. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest here. But I, I've been back. Hey, you, I could come, last you come back two or to the fold. It's 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 how it works, right? Sometimes <laughs> it's cyclical and when you need it, you 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 know it. Yeah, but it's been it's foundational. It's been it was a it was a respite, especially when I was in the campaign. Gosh, yeah. to just have a group of men that are hanging out in the morning seeking God. I think together. we all need that, man. It's a, it's been so life giving to me to yep. to have just other men that are willing to open the word. I mean, we keep it simple. We read we go around, we read a passage, a chapter or two, work through books of the Bible. I think we've read twenty seven books of the Bible now in the last four years. And as we do it, we you know, I teach a little, or give my perspective, but it's really about the whole group sharing what is God speaking to them. And it, it takes an hour of our time, but I can tell you it's one of the things I look forward to the most in my week. And I would say every man there would probably say the same because we're we're coming together, we're opening scripture, we're, we're getting God's wisdom on matters. It just reminds you of like the bigger story at play, how small we are in it, and yet how much God wants us to be in the game yeah. and, and engage. And so... I love it. And we're in Revelation right now, so that's pretty intense. <laughs> we are. How timely. Talk about things burning. I mean, <laughs> mm-hmm. we're right there. there. And How Revelation, for, for most people, I know for me even, was intimidating. Like, I mean, that's a hard book to study. Yeah. There's a lot of different views on it. But when I read Revelation 1-3 that says, look, anyone who reads this book aloud will be blessed. It's it's the only book of the Bible where we're giving that, given that like promise. Like when you read this together, you will be blessed. It's, it's really cool. And, and what I found when we studied it before is you leave reading that book full of hope, not, not scared, not worried about the future. It just keeps instilling a confidence that God's at work here. There's a great story playing out. We get to be a part of it. Um, and it, it does the opposite of what most people think it will do. Well, and, and on that point, a lot of people strangely misunderstand. They think there's a lot of things that are hidden in the book of Revelation, but um, the book is called Revelation, right? God's <laughs> right. intent 
in John writing Revelation, right, was to reveal was to his reveal. plan. Yes, so so all of the mystery. A lot of people get caught up in in the mystery, and if it's studied properly in the context of all the scripture, it's not as mysterious as people make it out to be. Yeah, even apocalypse means like a unveiling. Yeah, right, un- exactly. And thank you. It feels like oh, wow. doesn't it feel like we're in a season right now where there's a lot of things being unveiled? Yes, <laughs> I mean it's like the curtains being pulled back. You're starting to see things that. The way this world has functioned for a long time that you didn't, most people didn't realize, and I, and I just feel like almost every day we're being hit with something that we're like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know that's how our government worked, or yep. I don't know, I didn't realize those people were connected, and that's been happening for a century. You know, it's like it feels like there's an unveiling happening. Absolutely, and everything. So that's exactly why you're on the show, by the way. So what I want to get into with you, you've got this uh, new podcast. I think you're in season two, yep. right? Called Undercurrent, and it's it's very different. It's I mean, it's what you typically do, but I don't think the content has been traditionally what you typically do. <laughs> um, I mean, you are you have always been in front, challenging the church to think, right? I mean, think media uh, on a variety of topics, especially all these cultural issues and things that we that we face, but. What I find interesting about Undercurrent is you are not shy at all in going into what many, even in the church, would consider conspiracy theories, you know? And so even in this last season, it's encouraging because, man, you're talking about Agenda 2030. You're you're talking about creating parallel economies. You're talking about possibly losing our food supply. You're in... Things that, unfortunately, um, and maybe you have a different perspective, but from mine, I just, it's not visible to me. I'm not seeing the church address these issues, which I which I would gather that's what you're trying to accomplish here. Yeah. And so I just, I wanted to sort of dive into a little bit of that because I think the 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 conversation of trying to get the church to think and have conversation about these topics that unfortunately we've seen over the last decade or so, and I guess what do, what do you what do we want to call it the the secret sensitive model of church that we've ad- adopted in mass? Unfortunately, in America, we just don't talk about those things. We don't talk about politics, you know. Uh, which I've said quite often. That's sort of why we are where we are. I mean, if I have to look around, yeah, there's an agenda. There's Marxism. There's globalism. There's there's communism. There's all these forces at play. But at the end of the day, when it comes to the challenges that we're facing in America. Um, especially in the family, you know, these agendas that are coming at us culturally, there is a systemic failure in the church for decades now of removing itself from the conversation in the public square that it actually should have been driving all along. Mm. And so I, I think sort of that in, in my, from my perspective, I feel like yeah. maybe that's where you're trying to get. Well, I, I mean, taking a step back for 20 years, Think Media, which was formerly called Q Ideas, our goal has been to help Christian leaders know how to faithfully navigate current culture. I mean, that's the way we've talked about it. It's it's a classic men of Issachar theme, understand the times, know, know what, what to, to do. do. You know, Chuck Colson was a mentor <clears throat> of mine late in his life. I had an amazing opportunity to learn Christian worldview and to have conversations with him where even in my late 20s, I was able to ask him deep questions about social issues, culture. We were talking about gay marriage. I mean, this is back in the 2000s. And and we were talking about 
just war theory and justice and the environment and climate change and, and those conversations, I was trying to understand how do Christians, do Christians talk about these things? Are we allowed to talk about these things? And what I realized from Chuck, what he would say is, is there's absolutely no topic off limits. Like the Christian worldview touches every issue, every topic, every industry, every vocation. You know, I think it was Kuiper who famously said, you know, there's not one square inch of this world that doesn't cry out mine, you know, that Christ doesn't cry out mine mm -hmm. over because everything that we touch. So that's really shaped a lot of my work is trying to convene conversations. We do a culture summit every April designed for people to come together to hear talks that are done in more of the TED style, nine minute talks, 18 minute talks covering a variety of topics in every type of industry. So that's for 20 years, that's what we've been doing. And I would just say, so, so even though it feels like, Hey, right now we're talking about, I'm talking about some cultural subjects and issues that the church hasn't talked about as much broadly. I'm kind of used to that because I've, I've for 20 years, I feel like the kind of issues we've tried to raise are things that, you know, the next couple years, the church starts talking about it. I mean, that's generally what yeah. we've seen. And, and it's, it's either the way God's wired me, gifted me, speaks to me, but it's just trying to see a little bit around the corner of, hey guys, this is com this freight train's coming and we can either talk about it and deal with it or we can just kind of put our head in the sand. And I've never wanted to do that. And I, and I think the stakes are getting higher. I mean, I think every moment that goes by for the church to recognize its position in the world right now and the unique role that it needs to be playing to be a resilient place that's steadfast, that understands what's true, understands what love looks like in the midst of chaos and confusion, understands how to speak boldly with conviction, but also welcome people in who might have a different point of view or perspective and care for them and their needs. Like this is kind of the moment we're walking into. And so that led me, so undercurrent, we're in season two, you're right. So, so I created a, a way to start talking about these issues and trying to educate Christian leaders a little more on what is happening in our world. And there's no conspiracies in it at all. I mean, it's literally, I come with the receipts, you know, read the articles yourself, read, yep. read how these different organizations and institutions read what their vision for the future is. And that's a lot of what the premise is. There's a vision for the future of our world. And, and I really characterize it in my first episode as, as man versus machine. And there's a human vision of human flourishing that, that we as Christians ought to be advancing in the world that, that cares about human dignity, life, about what it means to live under a view of of God's design human beings to function in a certain way. And when we live that way, we flourish, we have freedom, we experience it, all that God's designed for us to do. But there's this other vision playing out that's the machine. And and this has been written about, I mean, C.S. Lewis wrote about this in The Abolition of Man. You can go back, you know, a century and see people writing about this future that was coming. And we happen to be living through it as the church. We're, we're seeing the advance of technocracy and technology and control grids and the ways in which all of that's being used to start to impose more controls. And I just felt like to be faithful and obedient to what I've been called to do, we also need to talk about that. Even though it's a little uncomfortable, people may not want to hear about it. People are feeling it. They're, they're, there's a lot of anxiety and stress from the COVID experience that I think yes. I think makes people want to shy away from from facing the truth and the facts about where we sit. Um, but I felt it was important to do it, and so it's been great, and it's creating great conversations. And in a lot of ways, for your listeners, for pastors, it's given them a resource to share with their friends, their elders, the their board, the people they're trying to do life with to start conversations. Because I think some people are having them privately. They're one on one. Like I'm concerned about this, or I'm. Yep. Do you see this coming? Am I crazy? Or they just sit and ruminate on it by themselves. 
and they don't have a way to talk about it. And what I found is we get the healthiest results when we in community can process through the fears you might have about the future. What does wisdom look like in this situation? And and so that's what we're trying to do. To, to some degree, I almost feel like you're trying to also normalize these conversations. Like I, I yeah. was, as, as I'm hearing you say, like, I think people do ruminate on these things silently and, and in small rooms, but a lot of times it feels like in the context of their community they might find themselves in, you know, it's it's still the old we don't talk about religion and politics kind of thing in certain circles. So, no, I appreciate that. Would you say, and we're going to put the link in our description, um, gayblinds.com slash letter, yep. is that right? Yep. Would you say, uh, and I, I want you to talk a little, a little bit about that letter. Because I know you you wrote a letter really challenging the church, challenging pastors to think about these issues and to position themselves to be at the front of these issues and and not be taking a back seat. Would you say that that letter was that the impetus mm. of you starting Undercurrent? Yeah, I, that's a good. I don't think I've mm. thought about it that way. Um, but that letter was two year. It was a two year journey for me to write that letter. I mean, I didn't want to write that letter because I knew the things I would raise and the questions that it would pose. And maybe the, that maybe you would lose some friends. Yeah, maybe I'd lose some friends. Maybe maybe it'd be taken the wrong way. Maybe it would appear too conspiratorial because I was helping, wanting people to kind of awaken to the structures and the totalitarian type tyranny that we're starting to see move into it. It's specifically American culture, but I think we're seeing it in other cultures around the world. And and I think what took place during COVID, I call it the COVID situation. Um, I call it the big lie of 2020. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We don't even, we, we yeah, Kevin chooses not even to say the word. <clears throat> yeah. So, but through that, I think, um, it became more clear for people. It became a little more obvious, and and that veil was getting pulled back a little bit more about the ways in which our society works, the way some of our institutions are corrupt, the way they're easily corruptible, the way money and greed drives things, the way there's other leaders in the world um, that have ideas about the future of humankind and man and the way in which our countries ought to function that lend towards this control dynamic. And so I felt it was important for the church, who's always been this, this space in the world that, that helps people understand human dignity, freedom, and what it means to live as free-willed human beings in the world, that we need to be awake to this ideology that's moving in because it's very subtle, it's subversive, and we even see in the next generation, many of them very much naive to it, naive to socialism, to those ideas that have been tried, they've been tested, we've seen how much they failed human beings. And yet we're back in this place where, as you said, our churches don't necessarily educate on this. It's not something they talk a lot about. They're, you know, I try to give the benefit of the doubt to to pastors who don't talk about it. You know, it's not something they feel like they're experts on or equipped in. But today, I just don't think there's any more excuses. If we're not creating space to have these conversations, I, again, our people are having these conversations. Now, whether they're going to be informed by Scripture or whether it's just the latest person on social media that had an opinion on it, now the church needs to understand, like, are we going to be in this conversation and help people faithfully navigate the future, not just fearfully navigate the future, but recognize that as Christians, we're called not just to protect ourselves, to to be self-focused, um, but it's actually about the others around us. Like, as the church, we're here to help our neighbors. We're here to love everybody around us who we're going to see perhaps suffer more and more as we move down this path towards totalitarianism. 
Oh, sorry. I thought you were going to say something. <laughs> <laughs> I just look at the long, g- pregnant pause. I was right? giving you the look. Now, Gary and I have actually talked about when you mention Gabe, the church, the church's role. I think we said this last week or two weeks ago. I think it was two weeks ago when we had um, Paul Vaughn mm-hmm. on. The church has not only abandoned its its true place, but it is um, puzzling to me how anyone can read the book of Acts, which is the foundation of the where the Christian church was formulated, right? They were in the midst of some of the most fierce political persecution. The church was birthed on this um, foundation of church-state conflict, and yet today— to hear most pastors, you would think that 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 never happened and that wasn't the case. And I think that they've been lulled to sleep because for so many years, the American order has allowed them to believe that that doesn't happen here. And so they've just taken it for granted. Yeah. And insulated from that. But if you go back to Acts, that is a really good place to start for anybody about what the church needs to be confronting, isn't it? Yeah. Well, the church is always really until our current moment been a persecuted minority pretty much throughout history. Of course, there was Rome in the, the moment with Constantine and, you know, Christianity becoming the religion of the state. But for the most part, the church has been under a pressure when it's been at its best. And when that pressure is applied, we start to see the best come out of the mm-hmm. church. And there's no question, I think most everybody would agree in American life, there's been a real protection and a comfort and a way to operate as a church and not really have to think about these kinds of questions or deal with them. And so that's why I think it is so uncomfortable because there's there's not as many leaders even in an older generation to kind of mentor a pastor today through that situation because they didn't live through it themselves. Mm-hmm. And so I mean, most of good. us are kind of pioneering, like we're right on the front edge of pioneering mm-hmm. a new way. And we actually have to look way back. You know, we have to, you know, I, I read Bonhoeffer and his his essays in his book, Ethics. Um, very helpful because here he is, not not long ago, but what, 80 years ago in Germany, where he's trying to navigate what does faithfulness look like when I'm starting to see a state move in and and through the con- con- concordance, you know, draft that the, the church has signed where they pretty much gave away their political influence yeah, and said to absolutely. Germany, you know, we won't mess with politics. We'll stay over here and do our thing as the church. We see where that led. And you had someone like Bonhoeffer going, wait, I've got to have a theology about what it means to be a faithful Christian in the midst of a a Hitler regime that's literally going to kill and maim uh, the masses. Yeah, um, the, ch- the church in Germany, not single-handedly, but almost single-handedly responsible for the advance of the state, right? If Had the church done its job as the church, then we would not have seen the results that we saw in Nazi Germany. Yep, and, and I mean, you know, one of the, one of the factors uh, Hitler puts in a, a new policy to basically kill all the handicapped. I mean, and and now we look back and 200,000 people who were handicapped, and, and this matters to me, I have two children with Down syndrome, so I think about this, the, the people that the state would call useless eaters, mm-hmm. people who are just draining the system of money, Those that's not good for the state's budget, and, and they don't like yep. that. And so you see even then, the church couldn't stand against it. It already kind of signed away, and that th- those 200,000 really were the ones that were, were the practice injections. They were the ones in the gas chambers. That's where everybody learned how to prepare uh-huh. when they actually had a mass extermination of the Jews. One of the other things that I think, and Gary and I have talked about this a little bit, the problem that I see or what the church is missing today is that they're very good 
at recognizing persecution in faraway lands today or in faraway times, right? So if it happened in the past, I can hear pastors champion it. And if, it ha- if it's happening in another territory, usually far away, whether it's underground church in China, whether it's um, in Islamic countries, any kind of pers- persecution, but what's going on right in front of them seems to completely miss it. Or remember a couple of years ago when those pastors in Canada were completely shut down by the dictator, what's his name? Uh, Trudeau. Yeah, Trudeau. I, I, I have been in churches where they were talking about Ukraine because CNN had said Ukraine was the important thing to pray about and saying nothing about their brothers and sisters in Canada who were literally being put in jail for the cause of Christ. This, there's a disconnect, a big disconnect in the modern evangelical culture that has to be overcome through talking yeah. about it, awareness, going back to the scriptures and shouting it from the rooftops. Yeah, I think, in, again, in Western culture, very comfortable, never believed those types of things could happen. And so it's obviously so easy to point out persecution, especially death. And I mean, and then, and that's been one of those things. It's almost been a line like social persecution is one thing, you know, being alienated, not having the same comforts. Um, but when you see people dying for their faith, being mm-hmm. martyred for their faith in some of these countries, it, there is a contrast to that. But seeing these earlier stages of, of where, you know, because you're going to hold to biblical beliefs and you're going to recognize your authority as the church in the midst of the state, when, when that starts to be encumbered upon People have to stand. Mm-hmm. And and I think, you know, the COVID situation was one of those where a lot of pastors really weren't prepared for that moment. It came really yeah. quick. And you could tell, like, those who hadn't really had the had ever thought through, what, what, would we, what would we do if the state recommended we shut down our churches? <laughs> yeah. um, In America. You know, you know, pretty much went with that. Um, and, and, of course, we could all now, you know— armchair quarterback that decision and and while that took place um but but i just think it it i see it all as a warning like okay you, you had your first shot here you learned hopefully learned a lot yeah. and wisdom would say what are you going to do next time what are you going to do the next time the church says or suggest in some places it, it said and in, in states like tennessee it wasn't demanded but it was certainly suggested suge- strongly suggested <laughs> yeah, and, suggested with a lot of manipulation tactics yeah, yeah and so and so nobody wanted to be left out you know in the cold on that mm-hmm. one and and so um, a lot of people complied but i think i see that as just a warning shot to go okay now you've had time to think through your theology about this romans 13 what does it mean to to be a, a church and to submit to the state, and am I supposed to just do everything the state says? And it's it. I think the Romans thirteen discussion and theology is one that right now should be one of the most dominant conversations happening amongst church teams and elders yep. to be prepared for the next moment when that happens. Yes, and actually spoken about in terms of the entirety of Scripture, not just thrown out as a tagline to get you to shut up when you're interested in confronting a government that has usurped its authority, right? Yeah. That's, it's, it's the misinterpretation of Roman thir- Romans 13 that has led us down this path to where we are today. Yeah. I, I, did mean, a, I did an episode on undercurrent that we might, we might link, but it was specifically about this, um, really describing the state versus the church. And if you don't 
dig in deep, you know, to these passages and understand Paul, who's writing Romans 13, and, and look and at even the life died. of Paul, right? Yep. So, I mean, Paul stood against the state. He didn't he didn't submit to every single law that was he was told to do when, whenever it crossed that line um, to where it was asking him to do something that was actually against what God had called him to do, then, then there was a problem. And so I think, yeah, we want to look at all that in full context and with wisdom. Um, and I've said before, and I'll, sorry, Gary, just let me finish this thought. If you're going to read Romans 13, you have to read it in light of Acts 3 and 4. And so what happened in Acts 3 and 4? Peter and John were told by the authorities to stop preaching in the name of Jesus, and they said, who are we to listen to, you or God? You be the judge. In Acts 4, they come back to Peter and say, we told you to stop preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. And he said, we must obey God rather than any human authority. So if all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, then we must, at a starting point, always interpret the Bible with the Bible. So when we're talking about political confrontation, Romans 13 has to be interpreted in the context of Acts 3 and 4, among many other places. And as you point out, not only did Paul die because of political persecution, beheaded, right, for not obeying the power of the state, but— Jesus, our Lord himself, was crucified, and crucifixion, people must understand, is, a, is what happens for a political crime, right? They would have stoned him if it was just under the Jewish law, mm. but they said that Jesus wrongly accused him as an insurrectionist, but that's why they killed him, for a political crime. It's, 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 it is so important that yeah, people understand this. And government uh, is an institution that God, I believe, wanted us to utilize and it's part of his design but but when governments are not rewarding good and punishing evil and they start to reward evil and they punish good mm -hmm. that's a really big alarm bell should be going off if, if your <laughs> yes. government's headed that direction get prepared understand how far that could lead yeah and sometimes that may cause the church to position itself sort of in a in an aggressive stance you know kind of a which isn't that supposed to be with the church does though don't we don't we take ground typically we, are, we that's right the that's, gates the gates of hell remember the gates are a defensive mechanism so when christ told peter that he will build his church upon that rock and the gates of hell will not prevail now he wasn't talking militarily of course that's people misunderstand that but taking the word of god right is a is a proactive affirmative decision we're not sitting there saying whoa Satan's coming. We need to hide here in a corner. No, we do, as Gary just said. We take the ground. That's our role. And the fact that culture has declined so much because we haven't take the, taken the ground that Christ has already called us to do. And I'm I'm not one to to make excuses or um or allow others to make excuses. However, I, there was a statement you made earlier. I've been stewing on, which I think is great perspective, really. And it's the fact that pastors right now that are facing challenges that we've never faced before in America do not have, I don't think, a a living generation of pastors to lean on or look back on that can help them navigate through what they're going through right now. Right. And I and I you said that and it's like, well gosh, now I gotta I got to give cut everybody some slack, you know. And I don't I don't like feeling that cut way, us some you slack, know. Gary, cut <laughs> us some slack. Gary, you but, don't like cutting people slack, no, really. But but that's that's such great perspective and I think that's absolutely true. I think yeah, the church in America right now 
and and the men in the front, uh, these lead pastors all across the country, they don't have a mentor right now to yeah. to lean on someone who has done this before. Well, I go back. I mean, I've been fortunate to have relationships with um, people like Chuck Colson. I said earlier, but Oz Guinness is somebody I go to now. He's eighty two years old. Someone who's really got perspective, not just he's lived in China, lived in England, lived in America. He has He's a broader perspective on the church and the role of the church throughout history. And I find him to be so refreshing because he can always help me see, what am I adopting just because I'm an American and, and this is sort of an American way of thinking about things? And, and what of this is just true of how God's designed the, the church? And he's been so helpful to understand free, like what is freedom? What is liberty? These ideas that have have now gotten so associated with America because it was a success, but now so associated with patriotism or what you know is referred to as nationalism, that to even talk about freedom and liberty in some people's eyes or or in their ears, they immediately think, "Oh, you're just thinking about America. You just want to save and preserve America. You're not really talking about the kingdom." Whereas freedom and liberty are key concepts throughout Scripture, this is why this is what God's come to do to set people free, and and He designed human beings to have free will to be able to function in that way. So when you start to see governments imposing on top of people's free will, this is a huge red flag and something that we must talk about. Others, though, when you don't have those people who are alive, like Oz, who's eighty-two, you do start to go back and have to read, and you have to really, and, and we can just go back to last century and read. Like I read a lot of Francis Schaeffer, who was an influence on Colson, Jerry Falwell, who we haven't talked about that. I grew up in Jerry Falwell's church in Lynchburg, Virginia. Like I spent all my early years, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, you know, hearing someone who really believed the church had to be engaged in the culture, specifically in the political realm. And so Francis Schaeffer came to, you know, I was seven years old. He came to our church in 1982. I went back and watched that sermon recently. And everything he was saying and predicting is happening. And that was 40 years ago. He was he was helping people see yeah. and it was different current issues at the time, but it was the same general direction humanity was moving. And again, that's where CS Lewis and others who've written, you know, everybody knows about mere Christianity, but you know, have you read Abolition of Man, you know? Have you read that hideous strength which really is describing the ways in which the ideologies that most of of human beings and civilization were starting to adapt were going to lead towards a controlled type environment that was going to create a whole new world and a new frontier of humanity, technology, and that's why he says it's the the potential is we will abolish humankind. You know, it's as you were talking about mentors and living mentors, but ones that are getting older. I was thinking before you went into getting back to reading, that's the core too, and and so many of our current leadership have abandoned the discipline of reading. Uh, primarily, obviously, the Word and understanding scriptures, <clears throat> but... Yeah, they, instead, they just sit around and do things like listen to Gabe's podcast and stuff like that. <laughs> well, as funny as that is... It's true. It is what happens, <laughs> not, right? Not my P- podcast, people, but people everybody listen, else's podcast. People listen to everyone else's opinion, and unless, first of all, none of us are, are... We're all sinners, so no one's going to be able to be speaking... You can speak the truth from Scripture, but the Word has to be the bottom line. It has to be the foundation for everything. And this, we, there's a history on this. As you were saying, talking about reading and, and losing that mentorship, I went back to Josiah. Remember what happened with Josiah mm-hmm. in the book of Kings. It, it, it talks about him. He became king at eight years old. And then in the 18th year of his reign, he basically went, you know, blew off the dust off the word of God and said, 
holy cow, we haven't been living in accordance with God's plan, yeah. you know, tours, robes, and everything like that. I think that would be a good thing if people would wake up today and read their word and say, oh my gosh, we haven't been doing what we're supposed to be doing. But the the encouragement I take from that is, it's there, same as it ever was, right? Mm-hmm. It's in the Word. Mm-hmm. Same yeah. in a song. Yep. Uh, talking Heads, <laughs> David Byrne. We, we, same, as ever, yeah. same as it ever was. I, I'll say we're seeing that in a lot of the next generation. I mean, some of our work with Think, we have a next-gen summit, for example, we'll do in a month in Nashville for a 1,000 young leaders, Gen Z, millennials. I've been so encouraged by their zeal and their boldness. And, and when you told the story about Josiah, I, I'm seeing that, not in everybody, but you're seeing it in some where they're like, mm-hmm. wait, mom and dad, why don't we do this? Do we really believe what, yeah. what scripture says? They're starting to push back. They're starting to ask those bigger questions that, again, in American life just weren't part of the dialogue, part of the conversation. But but they've grown up in, in a world that's pretty chaotic. They've seen mm-hmm. the inconsistencies They've recognized the hypocrisy in, in our, their parents' lives and in my life, and my kids call me out on it. And and as high schoolers and now going into college, it's convicting. You know, my kids are Friday night doing evangelism on Broadway. You know, with Daniel, friend a friend of ours, um, a ministry where they go out and pray and and speak to people. And I was so convicted. I went down with my daughter one night. I'm like, can I? I want to come with you. This doesn't just have to be twenty year olds. And man, it was amazing. And and it reminded me of things I did in my youth that that just in life and busyness, other things replace it. Podcast recordings <laughs> replace it. And it's going, wait, what are we doing here? And I would just encourage everybody, like it's, it's coming back to the first love, you know, Revelation 2, you know, you see the church of Ephesus. Mm-hmm. It was doing all the right things. It was practicing these amazing things in the community. You could imagine it was like most churches, like people would say great things about this church. But he's like, I have this one thing with you. You've lost your first love. Mm-hmm. You've lost your first love. And and ultimately, there's not a church in Ephesus anymore. What he said is, if you lose that, you'll be destroyed. I mean, there's not been a church in Ephesus since probably the first century. And and so you you find yourself in a place where we take wow. these things on and go, wow, we need to, you know, he, he also gives a prescription right there in Revelation 2 where he says, if you've lost your first love, what you do is you remember, you, you remember what it was like, you know, when you had that first love, you repent and then you return. So you, so you remember what your first love was, was like, go back to that moment when you first experienced. I know for me, evangelism was a big part of that. I called all my... Christian school friends to say, are you sure you're saved? And I walked them through the plan of salvation again. They're like, Gabe, you're crazy. Yes, we all go to the same Christian school, but I wasn't convinced because I was like, I I wasn't, and I've been sitting here with you. So when I go back and remember, I go, where's that evangelism fire? That was part of my first love and repent that I haven't been doing that well and then return to those works, find ways in my own life to be an evangelist again. So those are some of the ways I think we can be encouraged by a new generation that's seeing it a little differently. So I have a different question. <clears throat> can can we talk about your enemies for a minute? Right? When you're when you're out there proclaiming the truth, when you are injecting into the culture something that strangely now is foreign to the American culture even though it was our foundation, what kind of pushback and from any particular source whether pastors or political leaders or both or other? Yeah. I I will say that's one of the shocking things about my life I think and the the work we've been doing is um I don't have a huge amount of enemies that that I would say are proactively just attacking the work that we're doing. And I can't tell you why. Maybe we're not hitting the mark enough. Uh Uh-oh. Now that he's on this program, he's going to get enemies. This this, this, this (laughs) did it for you. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Um, But I, I I think partly it's because so much of the way we've tried to approach some of these 
areas is there there is a cultural understanding and a sensitivity to what's happening with people's lives and trying to apply it in that way it's recognizing that our main enemy is this is a spiritual battle right. it's not like a specific exactly person right. an organization or a political group yeah, they're just this all is, tools of the devil yeah That's it's, exactly it's like right and, and you see the humanity of of other people and we recognize that you know it's not that they're the bad person. It's like they've believed an idea that's been fed to mm-hmm. them, an ideology that's that's making them act and react and live and pursue well, their cause in a certain way that comes into conflict with maybe how I'm I'm doing it. But I I try not to ever personalize it to that point to where where I name a person and and think they're my enemy. Yeah, we're still culpable for our sin. Yes, it's obviously the father of lies directs the lies and directs all the organization of that. Um, and yes, you don't per, you don't need to personalize it, but we are still all culpable. It's not like we're and, and I, yeah. I know you didn't mean to imply that. I just wanted to make sure I. But yeah, you but you <clears> have <throat> a you have a way though of that's I think and I think that's going to be what I hope is a great success for undercurrent in having these conversations in the church because you, it doesn't come across in a finger-pointing or antagonistic kind of way, yet you are unashamedly presenting information and trying to push conversation that I think many are uncomfortable with. But it's, but you, you, you do have a gift, though, of doing it in a very... Um, it's like telling somebody they suck, but they just don't realize that that's what you're saying. <laughs> Man, we'll have to come up with what that attribute is. <laughs> so I, I want to... Um, I want to dig into just a couple of specific things, and I'm going back quickly too to Christian nationalism. You, we kind of hinted around that a little bit. That old thing frustrates me because when I think about, I mean, I, I do consider myself a Christian nationalist in the sense that, yes, I believe that we should live secularly in the world politically according to Scripture. I believe that. Amen. I, I believe it's all. His and I believe that as a as a believer, uh, I am doing everything that I can do, and I'm using every tool to further the kingdom and live according to the kingdom. I'm I'm working. Um, it's it's the the our Father I'm as on earth as it is in heaven. That's what I'm working towards. Um, it, it's it's not that I'm looking at you, and you made the distinction earlier. It's not necessarily that I'm looking to preserve America as a nation above the kingdom. But I do believe that America is the closest um, earthly vessel that we have. Structurally. Structurally, yeah. that, that promotes, uh, or politically at least. Yeah, that's, that's what I meant. Politically. That, that, <clears throat> that political promotes structures. the fundamental truths of what I believe aligns with the gospel and the word. So, Not, notwithstanding, it's cr- the current manifestation of it uh, being completely course, corrupted. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, the, the the foundational idea that we have uh, vastly departed from. So, yeah, I mean, you, you look at the founding of America. I mean, it's amazing to see what the founders were trying to accomplish and did accomplish structurally um, as well as politically in creating this dynamic that was was really about human dignity it was about trying to promote what true freedom could look like within a system and in a structure um it's not as recognizable today i mean to to you know you, you sure. imagine what they would think right now to see the way <laughs> thought it's about that a lot playing out and 
um, all the freedom because I mean that this is one of the things Oz Guinness talks about is like f- freedom to just do whatever you want was never the idea of freedom. Like freedom that always has had constraints. License, right? That's license. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Freedom with constraints is what produces flourishing. But then you can't have freedom without a moral people, and you can't have a moral people without a virtuous people, right. and you can't have virtuous people without religion, right? And so at, at the base, you 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 need to have. A large part of your population really understand there's a God that will one day be accountable to. And when we operate under that premise, it we make some different decisions than yeah. just this materialistic naturalism way of seeing the world, which is I'm actually not accountable to anybody. I'll live however I want to live. There's no afterlife. You, you can see how when we untether ourselves from those types of anchors and moors, we do find ourselves now sailing in a in a direction that's would not be recognizable to what the founders, even the context of the founding of America, had in place to even create such a vision. And one of the chief proponents, or the chief uh, uh, structural proponents against that, has always been those who are Christians who say, "Well, I don't believe we should impose our values on the culture." Right. We, we live in a— No, it's, I believe it's, we it's should. A, no, I'm, I'm saying that's the problem, <laughs> yes. right? The, yeah. the, the notion of multiculturalism is actually a fraud. You cannot have a culture that exists on multicultures. You have to have shared values. You have to have fundamental shared values about who God is, what is right and wrong, what is moral and immoral— even the very the very a materialist and atheist can't even make an argument about morality at all. Well, those things have to be agreed upon. Otherwise, you have the chaos, and that's the reason we have the chaos today is because for so long those who who could have defended our position, Christians abandoned the Christian worldview. They abandoned the cause of Christian liberty, which, as I wrote in my little book, is the foundation for liberty anyway. You can't make an argument for liberty outside of a Christian worldview, and it's that abandonment that's so frustrating because we, we know the enemy advances. We understand what Marxism is all about in communism. We understand what atheism is, but it's the fact that Christians have said, well, I can just coast and think that Christian society is still going to exist because the piece of paper, the Constitution, says it's that way. No, the the ability to persuade other people, right, to to your view is critical here. And and the moment anyone starts to lose their ability to persuade others, Christian or otherwise, towards a point of view that would lead them to flourishing, you start to lose this. And so the idea of imposing our views, I, I don't think America was set up to impose views, but I, I think it was structured in such a way that with free assembly, with free debate, with the public square design for ideas to be exchanged, that there's this opportunity to continue to move people towards what will be best to them. And, and I yep. think you have to go further back to go, we started to lose our ability to persuade. We either assumed this would just always be the case. We got busy with other priorities. We didn't train up our children to start to see the value of these virtues in, in their life and faith. And I mean, a lot of that we could look at the last century to, to start to really see it unpack. But I but I think, um, you know, what, what? what is the term about moral? You can't legislate morality, but but you can. I mean, we do all every, the time. <laughs> every law is, is based it's on moral code. someone's yeah, it's morality. Who's, exactly. The question yeah. is, whose morality? But think about that. I mean, 20 or 30 years ago, that was a dominant mm-hmm. phrase Christians would use all the time. And that's how they to, surrendered. To sort they of retreated. move out of politics. Yep. And, and the reality was, no, every law being made is based on a vision for human flourishing, an imperfect, usually an imperfect policy to lead to human flourishing. And we just stopped 
thinking that was an important place for that season. Well, and, and I think I think the the natural assumption is that human beings operating under the appropriate uh, level of freedom in the public square will choose the things that are best for them naturally. <laughs> That's not always the case, but but the problem that we have today is that I don't think we we don't have a real public square when you have a media that is controlled. I mean, that's just a fact. The media is controlled and most people unfortunately are making assumptions on lies. I mean, so we it's it's a difficult time we live in because number 1, what I've been praying for, I, I just, you know, I always try to feel like God's given me a word for the year, you know, not that that's a magical thing, but I, I've been thinking a lot about discernment this year and how, not that discernment's never been necessary, but boy, I mean, in 2023, is it ever? Because you cannot, it's hard to ascertain the truth. You can't, we used to say you can't believe everything that's on the internet. Well, I mean, forget the internet. I mean, you just can't believe what's on TV. You can't believe what you're reading in the newspaper. Um, it's most of it's is is manufactured or slanted. I mean, I, I really do. I feel like we live under a a China style media, yeah. and so um, we're we're not making we're not making rational decisions based on truth anymore. And that's the uh, that's the struggle. But um, well, let me let me just say. I mean, I think cultures throughout time, you could almost look at media as always having these problems, right? That the slant, who's funding it, where where's the money coming from? Yeah, it's probably always right? been true. Yeah. I, th- I think it's just now it's so pronounced because there's so many sources. There's there's the unveiling, you're seeing how money feeds into these things. But here's the positive in a in a setting like that. And I think with artificial intelligence and where that's moving, the ability for a human being to just trust anything they're reading as being true is going to get very complicated. And so how do we, this gets back to what we talk about on Undercurrent, how do we start to build a parallel structure where we actually know what is true and we can start to trust information? That's going to get really difficult. And and I think you have to localize. Like centralized control is the enemy of the ability for us to have freedom and conversation and learning. And the more we decentralize, we start to come together more as human beings, right? We start to have real conversations. We, we know as Christians, Scripture is going to help us have discernment, the discernment that we're all praying for. We're going to get that through the Word of God. But then the ways we're going to access what is actually true and false likely isn't going to be by yourself in isolation. It's likely going to be having a community, a network of people that have some different perspectives, experiences, different things they're reading. They understand history. They have to be. Right? You're, you're going to need each other to do that. Now, that's the beauty of this. Like, like this is one of the great advantages of the times we're in. It's going to drive us back to some basics. It's ba- it's well, ba- that's, that's back to the New Testament church. And that's exactly what the big lie of 2020 did, because the largest, most comprehensive attempt by the entire world Isolation. elite yeah, to isolate actually forced people to say, I can't be isolated. My very existence as how God created me requires me to live in community with other believers. And so we saw the reorganizing of the church and new church groups forming Mm -hmm. abandoned by the churches who said, no, I'm going to go along with every decree of the government. Yeah. And that's that's the exciting, to me, the exciting thing. I I talk about the idea of building the parallel, and it's not my original idea. It comes out of Vaclav Havel 
who in Czechoslovakia back in the 70s when they were under communism, they, they decided we are going to build a parallel world. We're going we're gonna to create parallel entertainment and we're going we're gonna to smuggle movies in that our people can watch that remind them of life and a mm. flourishing life. We're going to grow gardens. Everybody can be a part of us, even if you're in an apartment. Go plant something on your porch and, and, and in that way resist. Say, I'm going to grow my own food. I don't have to go to the grocer that, that tells me I can only pay this for my food. Create little networks of art and beauty and conversations. And they did that successfully. And they were part of the revolution. But it all came out of building a parallel. And I, and I liken that to the moment we're in that we're going to have to build parallel structures. We're going to have to think about how are, how are our churches not just providing a Sunday service or a youth group meeting, but is our church helping the education for families and children? And if your local church isn't engaged in the education conversation, get engaged because where the conversation's going in our public school systems is down a path that that in many ways means our children are being subjected to ideologies that are not shaping them for their flourishing. We have, we have a whole it's podcast. The opposite. We have a podcast series called The Informed Parent. We just launched on Think Media with Suzanne Phillips where she's pointing this out and she's interviewing experts every week who are seeing the ways in which the agenda is moving a certain direction and what are we as Christian parents going to do to help take responsibility for that? We need food systems. We need churches thinking about food. Our, our church locally plants food. We 100,000 pounds of food every year now going to serve the poor, serve those who are in food deserts in our area. But I believe that's a structure that churches should be considering. What, what does it mean for us to know where our food's coming from? Um, we're, we're moving into a season where we understand that that food's going to be potentially harder to access or inflation's going to make it harder to afford. We don't know what's happening with our food. Like there's, there's new policies and you can start to follow along where MRNA is one, one of those medications. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> putting, putting vaccine type technology into lettuce. I mean, it, the, the cows, right. Getting MRNA vaccinations. So there's, yep. there's all those sorts of things now happening that makes every human go, okay, I want to kind of know where my food's coming from. Well, that's a local farmer. That's That's got to be a local network that says we're going to grow our food and learn how to distribute our food and we're going to start to build resilience locally. And and those are the conversations I think leaders in the church need to be having. Local ranchers too, because Lance would yep. be critical of us if we called him a farmer. Yeah, it's a rancher. It's a rancher we if were, you're raising we were cattle. <laughs> yep. Um, I, and and just, just as a reminder to our listeners too, I mean, that that's happening now, and that debate is even happening legislatively. We had two bills, again, I'll mention it again, that were filed this year. One, the, the first bill died very quickly, uh, got lobbied against by the, um, again, I'll just say it, Tennessee Farm Bureau. I mean, it, they, they, are, they are working hard to protect the status quo. The first bill would have required... If you're selling meat from livestock that was treated with an mRNA vaccine, state law would have required that label to say that. Um, well, that that died quickly. That bill got withdrawn. So then there was a second bill submitted that simply would have done this. It would have created a permissive structure where any local rancher could label their product mRNA free. So it was just it wasn't it wasn't the state saying you have to do this. It was just permissive labeling. Well, even that got killed. Because, gosh, if you if you allow local farmers to label their product mRNA free, then possibly you're insinuating <laughs> My implication. that the label yeah. that doesn't carry that is 
vaccinated, you know, or whatever by mRNA technology. So yeah. um, the this is going to be a struggle from top to bottom. Uh, regulation-wise on us being able to trust the food that we're eating. And, and so I think, yeah, 100% right. The key to all of this is the relationships that we have, not just even in conversations and ascertaining what truth is, but relationships in where we get our food so that we can trust the food that we're eating. It's huge. Trust is going to be everything. Trust is everything. That's the currency, and that that's what you find when um, we, we interviewed William Forstchen, and that's one of the talks we can make available to listeners at Think Media. Um, he's the author of a book called One Second After, where he lays out what happens the year after there's an an energy attack, an EMP he describes, or, you know, in, in our case, it could be um, a cyber attack. But the grid goes down. How do human beings react in that situation? And we've seen moments of that, right? Hurricanes, tornadoes, like like for a few days. But no, what happens? They have no clue, though. <laughs> what happens after two weeks? What happens after three weeks when you can't find food for your kids? What what? And and so he lays out. He describes over a year. This became a New York Times bestselling book. I think two thousand eight. Newt Gingrich wrote the forward for it. Um, I'm sure that's one of your buddies. Um, and <laughs> oh, the best. <laughs> and and but they were they're concerned that our government hasn't thought through hardening our grid system, and so that could happen. Well, we interviewed him to say what what did you learn from everything you explored about the way humans react? And it was back to what you said: trust is the most important and the the only thing that's going to matter in that situation. Who have you built trust with before that happens? Because in a moment where communication's down, when it's hard to, to know who's telling you the truth, it's going to come down to trust. You can only do that now. So everybody can be proactively right now building friendships, thinking about that. But the second thing he said was the church will become a critical force. And any time when this happens, the church becomes a distribution center. It becomes the place that, that people would come to if they're in need. And so our churches, again, in a situation like that, need to be prepared for those moments. I mean, how do churches have prepared for a moment where there's no power in the community and and people are starting to look for hope and help? Well, those are some of the proactive things I think we need to do. I want to quickly plug gabelines.com slash sustainable. If you go to that link, you will actually get access to 16 different talks, of which this one I'm describing is one of those. We also have one about food and farming, where we have a farmer with a pastor describing the process of which our church has, has created you know, 100,000 pounds of food in a year. These are the kind of th the future things that I believe the church ought to be thinking about as we have conversations about what does it mean to build the parallel. Last few moments. Um, so you've got these resources out there. You're having the conversation, but of course— it's of no value if those you're trying to reach are willing to listen and have those conversations, right? Like that's the trick. So how can you advise someone? What would you tell them that knows of you or has, has grabbed this material and how can they, what steps can they take to get their church, to get their yeah. pastor, to get their community engaged in having these conversations? Well, it takes a leader, and, and I think every one of us has influence. In fact, our mission with Think is to raise up one million thought leaders in the coming decade. And, and the whole vision behind that is recognizing that parents are thought leaders with their kids, teachers in their schools, elders at a church, staff members in an organization. Like, you all have influence. And many times we've just been too quiet. Like we haven't, like you spoke about over the decades, like we just got quiet. We didn't realize we had a voice and that we needed to use it. And so what we're trying to do is equip those leaders already in those places with content that are talks, our conversations, the letter I wrote, anybody could download that at gabelines.com slash letter. 
use these things to start conversations. That's actually an action. I mean, that's a perfect first action to go, hey, I've got a small group. I've got a group of friends. Let's all watch. Text them a link to it. It's all free at thinkmedia.com. Text them a link to a talk and go, hey, watch this. I want to hear what you have to think. Or let's get together next next time we're together as a small group. Let's have this conversation. Send them a nine-minute talk to start the conversation. People are intimidated by this conversation because they know they're not experts. They haven't read everything that needs to be read. And so I think out of humility, truly, they just go, well, I don't feel equipped. I don't feel – I think a lot of pastors do that. I don't feel comfortable taking kind of a leadership role in this. Right. But I think where Think Media can help is if you utilize what we've already convened and the subject matter experts we've pulled together and we've vetted that are creating great conversation starters, use that to start a conversation. And I can promise you, if you just start to get together and talk with people about these things, you're going to start to find people coming alive going, I've been thinking about this and that. Have you heard about this? And and it creates this opportunity. They've been alone in their minds already thinking yeah. these things. Yeah. And that's not good for their mental health. I mean, it's really not. Or emotional health turn that on its head, what the enemy meant to do for harm and isolate, let that start to bring us together in strength to say, no, we're on the same page. Let's talk about that future. How are we preparing as a church, as a family, as a community, as a neighborhood to come together and be more resilient in the face of a lot of the chaos and changes that most people predict? I mean, I just saw a study today, 71% of Americans are believing that the apocalypse, the end of the world could come within a year. I mean, what's this is the, What's crazy. that percentage again? 71%. By the end of this year? Yeah. That's that's how much this is in people's minds. Wow. Seven out of 10 people think World War III are will living happen. living like we're about to die. Yeah, people are, people are feeling anxiety. So I'm just saying to church leaders listening, to pastors, to parents, like this is in the air right now, that spirit of fear. And we should not be those people that are promoting no, fear at all. We, we should be living in wisdom. And guiding people towards, no, God God has a plan here. Let's just keep living faithfully where he's called us. And when we do that, I think we will find that not only will people around us start to come alive and flourish in their own freedom, but they'll start to build a strength and a resilience that is going to be needed to move into these next days. And that resilience that you continue to talk about, I believe, is going to be found in community. That's right. So these resources are huge. Gabe? Um, man, I love you, man. I'm I'm so thankful that you came here on the show today. I'm thankful for your leadership. And uh, again, want to encourage everyone, check out Think Media, and you can go to gabelines.com. We'll put links uh, here in the description so you can access some of the resources we talked about today. And uh, until then, Gabe, bless you, brother. Ah, thank thank you, you, guys. Thanks. If you'd like to learn more about Tennessee Stands, visit TennesseeStands.org to donate, volunteer, or get more information about what we're doing to preserve liberty for the people of Tennessee. You can also follow along on all social platforms at Tennessee Stands. As Thomas Paine reminded us, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigue of supporting it. <laughs>